This is a public service announcement with guitar. everybody welcome welcome to your rights at work chris garlock here once again with mr ed smith hey if you've got questions about your workplace rights the ones you have the ones you don't have the ones you wish you had now's the time give us a call 202-588-0893 ed smith howdy 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 good to be back chris on a beautiful thursday and uh Again, audience, we love to hear your calls and, and love to discuss stuff. 202-588-0893. Hey, Your Rights at Work is a proud founding member of the Labor Radio Podcast Network. If you haven't heard about it, basically there's almost 150 labor radio and podcast shows just like the one you hear today. Check them out. LaborRadioNetwork.org. That's LaborRadioNetwork.org. Pretty simple, and it's a lot of fun. How are you doing, to, Chris? I'm good. I need to update that. We're over 150 now. I forget. Oh. We got 154 or something. I got to go back and count them. I used all the fingers. Nearly. My fingers, my toes, you know. I'm, I'm... <laughs> uh, nearly 1,000. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, maybe not quite there. Hey, great show today. Uh, 15,000 Minnesota nurses stage a three-day, count it, three-day strike this week. It's the largest private sector nurses strike in U.S. history. We're going to talk about why they want. Also, millennials and Gen Zers are the most pro-union generation since the 1930s and 1940s. American Prospect Editor-at-Large Harold Meyerson joins us to talk about why he's dubbed them Generation Union. Also, President Biden promised to be the most pro-union president in American history, and indeed, he personally got involved in resolving the rail strike that threatened to shut down the nation's transportation system at midnight tonight. Margaret Poydock, policy analyst at the Economic Policy Institute, will join us in our last segment to assess the Biden administration's record for workers. All that, plus music. From Hank Snow, the king of train songs. And that, Ed Smith, is because we do have this tentative, and I say tentative, agreement brokered by the White House averting, uh, at least for now, a major rail strike. Uh, and I say tentative because it must still be approved by rail union members. Uh, while they're uh, reviewing and voting on that, they will not strike. Um, now, this, Ed, was after all night, literally, uh, they were up until, I think, 3, 4 o'clock in the morning uh, today, uh, talks brokered by Labor Secretary Marty Walsh. President Biden himself made the announcement early this morning. He called it, quote, a win for tens of thousands of rail workers who worked tirelessly through the pandemic to ensure that America's families and communities got deliveries of what's kept us going during these difficult years. Uh, Ed, we'll get more into that with Margaret Poydock later uh, when, uh, when we have her on to uh, assess the Biden administration's uh, record. Um, but let's start. Start off uh, in uh, sort of your bailiwick, as uh, folks know, Ed, of course, executive director at the D.C. Nurses Association, and uh, one of their affiliates in Minnesota led a three-day strike this week. And joining us 
um, from St. Louis Park, uh, Minnesota, Victoria Z. Lent. Victoria Z. Handler. I'm sorry, Victoria. My bad. Hey, you you're do? good. You're good. <laughs> Hi, it's nice to be here with you. So, Vicki, uh, you are an RN at Health Partners Methodist in the post-anesthesia care unit, uh, which, thank God, is called the PACU, if I'm not mistaken, right? That is correct, yes. It's a mouthful. Um, uh, I'm going to let Ed, since this is his bailiwick, uh, lead off with the questioning, Victoria. Okay. Well, hi, Victoria. Power to the union. Um, I know it's probably just an amazing amount of work and strategy pulling it all together. Uh, let's just go with the basics. I know it was a three-day strike. It covered a lot of hospitals, I think maybe 16. So why don't you tell us where, how much it covered uh, the uh, number of employees and tell us a little bit about your hospital and why, why it was important to uh, deliver a three-day strike. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I want to say it was about 15 hospitals. I might have my number wrong there, but it was 15,000 nurses total um, that went on strike. Um, and that is throughout what we call the Twin Cities, so the Minneapolis-St. Paul area here in Minnesota and also in the Twin Ports, which is Duluth. Um, my hospital specifically, we um, have been tr attempting to have fair and honest negotiations since March. Um, and it got to a point where we needed to really make a statement. Um, we have nurses that are being oriented to the intensive care unit that don't get to be oriented um, because they are being pulled to float to their old floors. We have observation units that are being closed down because they are being used as a float pool to go to other floors. Um, this really is crisis conditions, um, and we have not had any meaningful staffing counters from the hospital um, throughout the entire negotiations, and that's what we we did our strike for. It is one. It was one hundred percent patient safety. That is what we're here about. That is why we are nurses. It's patient safety. Well, Chris, you know, this sounds like a broken record from a few months ago, doesn't it? it uh, does. We did a one day, yeah, we did a one day strike here in DC on some of the same things, patient uh, safety, uh, staffing, and ultimately we uh, had a commitment from management to uh, have a staffing committee with real, uh, with real um, strength to it. Uh, and they're going to be up and running actually within the next week. So power to you. Uh, Chris, did you want to ask a question? Well, I'm just sort of putting on my, my patient hat uh, here, Victoria. I had uh, Lyme last year, so I spent a, a few days uh, over mm -hmm. at York in the hospital. And so I got sort of an inside view. And I'd, I'd love for you to talk about, you know, uh, from a patient's point of view, what are the kind of things that you're seeing uh, that are affecting care uh, for, for folks like me that were in there for three, four days? Um, so, for example, from my area, from the PACU area, we have patients that are staying in the PACU for eight, 10 hours on a cart. Um, hopefully, we might be able to get them something to eat, but it's really difficult there in PACU. Um, really, we can offer ice chips. Um, and the reason why is because we don't have enough staff to cover the beds on the floor. I see. 
I see. And the problem with that is the hospital asks us to, it's called flexing above grid. It's going above our safe staffing levels. Um, and there's research and literature out there that shows that for every patient we take above our safe staffing levels, um, the risk of death and adverse events increases for all of our patients. Yeah, um, it's, it's just sad and shocking. I know it's been exacerbated by COVID. Uh, tell people a little bit about Floating Travelers Agency and why that how that affects patients. I mean, I know I, I work for BC Nurses Association, so I'm very familiar with uh, those terms, but a lot of people don't really get it. They, they're in the hospital, like Chris said, you see a nurse, you don't know whether it's a traveler's nurse, you don't know if it's somebody who's floated from another unit that might not have ever got any orientation mm-hmm. on this new unit, might not have any experience and might only be able to do a certain few things. So maybe you could just kind of delve into that. And then, um, uh, a follow-up question is, uh, what's been the reaction in the public, and uh, is management coming back to the table? Yeah. A lot, um, to, so, a lot to chew on there. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, first of all, with floating and what that is, what floating is, is you have a nurse. Usually, it's called a float pool, and there's specific nurses that have been trained on every single floor, but they aren't experts on every single floor. Um, people say a nurse is a nurse is a nurse. We aren't that's not true. We are specialized to our location. You don't want me, a PACU nurse, going and taking care of pediatric patients. That's not my specialty. Um, Thankfully, with travelers, um, while they are specialized in a specific unit type, for example, medical surgical patients or intensive care patients, they aren't there for a very long period of time and they don't get an in-depth orientation. I've never been a travel nurse, but I have friends that are, and I've heard they get about three, maybe four days of orientation before they're thrown in. And normally, um, a good, and normally a good period is like six to eight weeks, right? Correct. Correct. Okay. Um, and that's just really to get your feet wet. And after that, um, hopefully you have a charge nurse that isn't taking patients and you have that support there. And that's another problem we're running into is that our charge nurses are having to take full patient assignments for our safe above our safe staffing levels. So our new nurses don't even have um, that support there. Mm. Um, Does that answer your floating question? It sure does. Uh, Before you answer the other part about what's what's uh, what's the future hold, Chris, uh, I think you wanted to jump in again. Yeah, I just wanted to talk about, because I'm, frankly, I'm still thinking about this uh, uh, a narrowly averted, uh, hopefully, rail strike that was going to affect tens of thousands of folks across the country. Uh, and I know that just like with the railroad workers, you know, it's very complicated with nurses. You have to give 10-day notice, and, and uh, you have to say how long you're going to be out. Um, and, and this is, you know, always one of these situations. I remember going through this with Ed's folks earlier this year where, you know, you don't want to shut the hospital down. It was always sort of interesting for me with a hospital strike because you're striking, but you actually want to make sure that your patients are taken care of. Um, but you did a three-day strike and, and, and 15,000 nurses. That is a lot. I don't, you know, that's a lot, a lot of nurses. And to have them all out for three days, I'd love for you just to talk a little bit about the logistics of that. Um, I don't think you've done this before. So if we could get into that just a little bit. 
Yeah, so we did do something similar to this 12 years ago in 2010. Um, we had the largest national private sector nurses strike back then with 12,000 nurses. Um, we um, went over that record this time with 15,000 nurses, and it was on the exact same reason, safe staffing. 12 years ago, 12,000 nurses did a strike for safe staffing, and now in 2022, we're doing the same thing with 15,000 nurses. The logistics, um, I'm on I'm on a messaging group for um, union members, um, stewards and cat members throughout the entire state. We're talking to each other. Um, our labor reps are talking to each other. Um, and we're making sure that we're all on the same page. So it does take a lot of logistics to get everything done. Yeah, and you got to have water on the picket line. You got to have food yep. on the picket line. You got to have music. You got to have people ready to chant. Um, so, uh, so it was a three dayer. And um, how? What was the duration of uh, the picket line? Was it twenty four seven? Was it twelve hours? Six hours? And then what's happening? Uh, uh, what's the next steps? Um, so it was twelve hours um, uh, from six. 6.45, 7 a.m. to 6.45, 7 p.m. Um, and that was for all three days. Um, and the reason why is because, um, one, safety concerns. You know, we don't want people out at night possibly getting hurt after dark. And um, two, we our strike started at 7 a.m. So we were there in the morning on Monday to welcome the nurses that walked out. Um, so... Next steps. Um, I haven't heard about when our next negotiation session is. I know from my hospital specifically, um, they didn't offer us anything this week. They offered us four days next week, though. For so September nineteenth, twentieth, twenty second, and twenty third. I haven't heard um, when we have accepted, like specifically what days. But hopefully, we'll be um, knowing that sometime soon. I believe you asked about the public reaction too. Yes. Um, Yes. Um, so at the beginning, I would say it was a little of a, a little mixed um, because all you're hearing from the hospitals is economic package, economic package. Um, and what I tell people is, yes, are we negotiating about wages and our economic package? Of course, it's in our contract, but that is not why we had our strike. That is absolutely not why we had our strike. Again, we haven't had a meaningful counter on our staffing in these entire negotiation sessions and that's what it comes down to with safe staffing um during the strike i was there on day one and then um fortunately i couldn't be there on the second day but i was there last night at the very end of it and day one there was a there was a little bit of like public interaction some honks going on um but let me tell you last night we had semi slowing down um, to honk their horns. It was so loud. Um, <laughs> uh, so loud. I don't even know how my kids were able to handle it, to be honest. <laughs> You're listening to Your Rights at Work here on WPFW with Chris and Ed. We are talking with Victoria Zihandelar. She's one of 15,000 nurses who went out on strike in Minnesota for three days this week. Joining us now is Harold Meyerson. He had a terrific Labor Day piece, uh, Generation Union. It's available at prospect.org. Uh, Victoria, I think you might be in this demographic or, or fairly close 
uh, in Harold's piece, he pointed out that 72% of Americans 18 to 34 uh, years of age approve of unions, but that just 3% of that same demographic actually belong to unions. Harold, welcome to your rights at work. What is going on here? Well, what is going on is that uh, the National Labor Relations Act has been so weakened by decades of court decisions and intransigent employer opposition, uh, and the weakening of the act basically has meant that uh, employers can violate the National Labor Relations Act by firing activists uh, and organizers in, in organizing campaigns to, uh, you know, uh, basically compel those campaigns to lose. Uh, meet, that's been going on for a long time. What, what's the news is that support for unions, not just among the young, but particularly among the young, has been steadily rising uh, to the point that it's now, uh, you know, at the highest level it's been since uh, the mid-1960s. So the gap between what the law uh, has eroded to and where the public is at is huge and uh, just continues to get wider. Uh, yeah, and, and uh, I want to introduce you to Victoria. Uh, as I mentioned, she's one of the striking nurses, uh, and obviously feel uh, feel free to ask uh, Victoria questions. Uh, I did want to get a quick reaction. Uh, we'll be talking to Margaret Poydock from EPI a little bit later, more in depth on this. But uh, as you well know, uh, President Biden himself announced the uh, uh, tentative agreement with uh, averting the rail strike. Uh, quick reaction thoughts on that? Well, I mean, the uh, the two unions that uh, had not reached agreement, the uh, the issue was their ability to go see a doctor, uh, you know, and not have that counted against them. In other words, to have uh, uh, not even paid leave in the settlement, but simply leave uh, to go and, uh, you know, uh, see a doctor. So this, this simply uh, you know, reflects uh, what is all too common in American labor relations which is, uh, you know, punishing workers for having a life. Uh, and, uh, you know, railroads, of course, were the first uh, interstate industry in the United States. And the history of uh, railroad worker militants goes back to the 1870s. Um, the government has not always supported that. Uh, uh, in in the strike of 1877, they sent in the army to bust it, which they did again in 1894. Uh, and it, you know, it, it's it's been a challenge for railroad workers throughout American history. Uh, you know, short beginning shortly after the invention of railroads as such. So, uh, what the Biden administration did was really, I think, try to you know get something for the workers. Uh, Biden himself. Uh, the last time there was uh, a, a railroad uh, lockout and or strike in, in 1992, <clears throat> you know, uh, voted against uh, a congressional uh, bill uh, requiring the workers to go back to work. So I think he tried to maintain really what is in one of the, the brightest parts of his presidency so far, which is it's pro-worker, pro-union stance in the settlement he announced today. 
And I want to make an even uh, stronger connection. Uh, one of one of the issues was kind of buried. You kind of had to dig deep in the story. Uh, but this is something that the, the train folks have been talking about for years are these two person crews, uh, which connects directly to what Victoria and her 15,000 folks struck over, which is, you know, patient safety and staffing issues. And it's it's just always struck me as bizarre and i've seen some of these trains some of these trains can run two three miles long and the idea that you would have one person running a three mile long train seems to me absolutely nuts and as i was talking to victoria earlier as a patient the idea that you would have you know short staffing uh, she was talking about, you know, so you have to give people ice chips, which I think ice chips, that's that's just ice, right, Victoria? Yeah, it's just water. That's it. <laughs> that doesn't really sound like something that me as a patient would like. Anyway, I know Ed Smith wants to get back in on this. Yeah, let me jump in also uh, going back to staffing. Uh, you know, staffing is not just a problem in Minnesota, of course. It's all over the country. In fact, all over the world. Uh, and what I think one of the units that people really see it is the ER. Um, you know, when people say the ER is stacked, it's, that's literally what it is. You are taking people and putting them in chairs rather than beds and kind of putting them as, you know, you know as, as many as possible in, the, in, a, in a limited space. And, you know, I might also add that's that in, in and of itself, forget the staffing, in and of itself that I'm in a chair two feet away from somebody coughing or somebody, you know, who's uh, is demonstrating some unusual uh, behavioral aspects, if you will. Uh, somebody, I was one time in an ER recently, somebody was spitting and they were about four feet away from me and my wife. Uh, how is, uh, in, in Minnesota, how are the ERs uh, dealing with uh, uh, this kind of staffing problem? Um, I know our ER, um, I don't remember the exact ratio. I, it's either one to two or one to four for nurse to um, patient for, for staffing levels. Um, but I know that we are, it's called boarding in the ER, which means that patients are waiting for a bed. And they're laying on cots or sitting in chairs in the hallway. Um, there's also only two nurses in uh, triage. That's the area where you come in first when you get into the emergency room and you get, you get checked in and they assess you and see if you need to go back immediately, or maybe you can wait a little bit because you're not as sick as another person. Um, we have two nurses there. We can have 30 to 40 patients in the lobby. So that's two nurses for 30 to 40 patients which is just astounding to me that they're able to keep them safe. So I want to do a follow-up and then I want to I maybe ask Harold to kind of dive in on this. So as you just heard from him, you've got 72% of uh, people from 18 to 32 that are supportive of unions. Uh, is your bargaining unit starting to skew a little younger? I know that, uh, oh, Chris just mentioned it's 18 to 34. Um, uh, I know that there's a lot of senior nurses in many hospitals, but I am beginning to see a lot more younger nurses. And tell me, um, one of the fears that we had when we did our one-day strike was uh, we were fearful that the younger nurses would not support going on strike because they were getting offered better pay raises. Um, 
tell me a little bit about your experience with that. And then Harold, if you want to chime in or ask a question and make a comment, I'd appreciate it. Yeah. Um, so our experienced nurses, a lot of them left with COVID, to be honest. Um, mm -hmm. A lot of our senior nurses that are the experts on our floor, um, they, you know, they were close to retirement or they were past retirement and were like, I'm going to work a couple more years. COVID hit. Um, they stuck it out for um, maybe six months to a year. And then they said, this isn't for me anymore. And they left the bedside. Um, and that's just because it's become so much more dangerous. Um, staffing is, like you said, something that's nationwide, um, worldwide. But here's the thing. There is actually no nursing shortage. There's over, four, right. there's over 4 million licensed registered nurses in the United States. What the problem is, is there's a shortage of nurses who are going to give, give up their well-being, both physical and mental well-being um for to be at the bedside they can get the same pain or a job that's paying the exact same amount for better work life um better benefits and they don't have to worry about their physical health harold yeah well i think where we have seen uh young workers uh, most prominently in, in recent months, uh, recent year, uh, has been the organizing campaigns at Starbucks and Amazon. Uh, Starbucks in particular uh, has a, you know, has a young workforce. Uh, and uh, in many ways, what, what this cr creates uh, is uh, really a belief in their their own uh, right to uh, have a say over conditions of work and things like that, uh, that is a widespread belief that is in some ways become a talisman of of their particular generation, and uh, you know it, it has required the union busters, I think, to somewhat rethink uh, their strategies. Uh, you know, I mean, they're. Uh, they are swimming in one sense upstream against, uh, you know, almost a sense of generational identity, which is linked uh, to workers having, having some power. Uh, you know, on the other hand, uh, the, the kind of measures that Howard Schultz and Starbucks have taken to withhold pay increases from, from workers at uh, the more than 230 uh, Starbucks uh, outlets that have unionized uh, while giving giving uh, raises to other workers, you know that 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 can be a, a material deterrence, which uh, has clearly had some effect. Although the National Labor Relations Board now in one region has declared uh, is moving to declare that an unfair labor practice, so we'll see where that goes. Yeah. Um, hey, if you want to get in the conversation, uh, you know our our lines are open two zero two five eight eight. 0893 and uh, yeah I find that very interesting that uh, Starbucks says they're you know very strong progressive company but yet they yeah. not only withhold pay increases but worse than that they fired the seven in Memphis sure. uh, that have since got since got their jobs back Chris well I just wanted to follow up uh, both to Harold and also uh, to you Victoria um, 
when I was at uh, the Labor Notes Conference, Harold, one of the things that struck me, first of all, I went from the AFL you know, convention to the Labor Notes Conference. The average age dropped by like 50 years. Uh, yeah. I mean, it was very, very clear. But the other thing was just the, you know, I, I've seen, you know, as you mentioned with the, with the Starbucks, certainly locally in the D.C. area, you know, much younger folks being involved in the labor movement. What struck me and I'm seeing this, to be honest, Victoria, and you, there seems to be a real militance. And, I, and so, Harold, I want you to talk a little bit about that. And then, and and, and Victoria, I see you laughing. I'd, lo- I'd love to get your reaction to that as well. Go ahead, Harold. Well, I, I mean, yes, it's it's there. It's sort of, you know, uh, came into some public view with uh, Occupy Wall Street uh, 11 years ago. Uh, and then in, in many ways, I think if we want to say there's a, a new, new left now, uh, the grandfather of that new, new left uh, is, is Bernie Sanders. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, that's sort of the starting point, really. Because it's uh, big chicken for, himself. <laughs> for what we've seen, uh, uh, you know, uh, among young people, uh, if you looked at, you know, like the exit polling in, in the 2016 Democratic primaries or even those in 2020, uh, which was a, a shorter uh, primary season, uh, Sanders' vote was always strongest among the young, who we won overwhelmingly. And you went up, you know, in the exit polls, you can do, they do it by age gradations. And uh, he got steadily, you know, his majorities just got stronger and stronger the younger the cohort was. Uh, and so, you know, that, you know, that's one element of this generational identity, that there's a certain militance there, uh, that, uh, you know, these are are the people who, uh, uh, you know, voted for Bernie, who turned out for uh, Black Lives Matter demonstrations and so on. Uh, and, and, you know, it's a real, fa- and who are most concerned about the climate crisis, and uh, many of whom have taken all kinds of actions on that and the Sunrise Movement and, and, and so forth. So, yeah, that uh, spills over and, and into labor activism as well, which is part and parcel of what this generation is about. Thanks, Harold. Uh, Victoria? Um, I, I had to laugh because um, I hear it said a lot. It's like, what else do you did you expect from us, from us growing up? Um, we grew up with the Hunger Games. We grew up with Harry Potter and um, fighting for our own good. Um, I'm on that higher end of the percentage for unions or for for the age. I'm in my I'm in my 30s. But yeah, we are very much. We grew up being told you you just have to fight for your rights and we're there we're doing it um we have seen how things have been deteriorating um i know my generation we've been through the recession we've been through a lot of once in a history moments um but we're ready for change you know that's yeah, that's we, so encouraging yeah, and uh, I, I, chris you, if ahead, i can Harold. the the failure of the recovery uh, after the 2008 financial crash uh, to really reach millennials, uh, you know, and and the, the level of student debt that's out there, the unaffordability of rental housing that's out there, all of these have a particular generational dimension uh, and, and, you know, are also very responsible for 
for what we what we're seeing. By the way, I grew up uh, uh, with you know with Leave It to Beaver, so uh, there are really there are really you know generational differences reflected in all kinds. Of uh, well, we 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 love to count you as one of the progressives, Harold. So it's, uh, Leave It to Beaver did not uh, indoctrinate <laughs> no, you, apparently. Uh, listen, we, I know it, we've got wait, to wait, 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 wait. Leave It to Beaver was the Hunger Games of your generation, right, Harold? <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, um, (laughs) we're going to need to wrap this up in a little bit. But Chris, you remember we had, I think her name was Sammy Shields uh, over at Starbucks in DuPont Circle. Sammy was brilliant, 21 years old, and spoke to labor issues with the kind of clarity that you would expect someone in their 50s to do. And uh, Victoria, I wanted to ask you about that. So I'm sure you've gotten some younger leaders involved in this much more than you probably ever anticipated. Uh, how do you view that? Because I'm blown away by the level of sophistication in some of these young uh, kids. It's wonderful. I am so accepting of it. And it's, it's honestly, I would say moving. Um, The amount of the younger generations that are getting involved um, and wanting their voices heard because they're, they're the ones that are going to be in this profession for longer. Um, they're the ones that are really, truly going to benefit the most out of all of this. And that's, that's what, what we're here for. Um, I've got an almost five-year-old who keeps saying that she wants to be a nurse like mommy. I'm at the point where I'm like, how, how am I able to even think about that? Let her do that if we don't have make changes. And these younger generations, these uh, people in their 20s are just willing and ready to fight for their rights and fight for better working conditions. That's super. And, you know, I know we're going to keep following this, uh, Chris. No, I just wanted to thank you both, Victoria and Harold, uh, so much for joining us. Victoria, keep up the fight. Uh, and Harold, just keep those wonderful pieces going at, uh, at prospect.org, right? Thanks. Will do. Thank uh, you. Victoria is a handler, is a, one of the striking nurses in Minnesota. Harold Meyerson, editor-at-large at the American Prospect, terrific piece on young folks organizing at prospect.org. Hey, you have been listening to Your Rights at Work, engineered today, as always, with a plum by Michael Nacella and Kalia Chapman. Thanks so much to them. Thanks to our guests. And as always, thanks to you all for listening. Stay tuned. And we will see you all next week. Take care, everybody. This is a public service announcement.